If you have your Bibles, I do invite you. Um, we're returning to Colossians chapter 3. And we're finishing today our, our little Advent series on getting dressed for Christmas. Um, and as we come, it's, it's very appropriate that we conclude where we are. We're, we're concluding with a theme of the, of the peace of Christ. And it's very appropriate because it's at Christmas time that we celebrate the coming of the Prince of Peace. It was on the night of his birth that a multitude of angels suddenly appeared to shepherds keeping watch over their flock. And they called out in worship, declaring, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And so as we come now, we're mindful that we've talked about these other virtues. We've talked about the importance of being dressed with compassionate hearts, kindness, gentleness, humility, and patience. Then we focused on the mighty importance, especially for the Christian believer, to be clothed in forgiveness. And then over all those virtues, we, we talked about just the priority of love that animates these other virtues. And then as we come now to the conclusion, I'm not sure if this is actually one of the articles of clothing or if this is just a kind of final exhortation, but it is to allow the peace of Christ to rule within us. And it seems to me here that... Um, that this peace is no more needed than after a year of COVID and after a year of, uh, with a presidential election and, and with some of the, the strife and, and turmoil that we've experienced um, in the country uh, over, the last, um, over the last year. The peace that we are interested in is the opposite of, of things like turmoil and hostility, anger, anxiety, weariness, and fear. The, the apostle saying um, that we need to look different, and that part of this looking different is understanding this gift that we have, the gift of peace, and then learning to express that peace in and through our lives. And if, if the body of Christ is able to do this, especially at this particular cultural moment, it'll be stark it'll shine like light in the darkness. Would you stand for the reading of God's word? We're in Colossians chapter 3, and I'll be reading verses 12 through 16, though I'll be focusing just on the last two verses. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Would you bow your heads with me? 
speak, O Lord, the word that you have for us. Grant us ears to hear that in the hearing of your word proclaimed, our hearts would prove to be good spiritual soil, tender and receptive. May your word produce good fruit and peace within our lives. For the sake of the name of Jesus, amen. You may be seated. As we begin to, to ponder, to reflect, um, to think about our theme of peace, uh, it's always good to define our terms. What is the peace of Christ? Well, this peace is such a rich term, um, both in the Old and New Testaments. But here as we come into this, the New Testament, Irene is the, uh, uh, the Greek word here. We, we get the name Irene, or we talk about someone with an Irenic spirit. Uh, it's right from this Greek uh, term that, that's translated peace. And as a Jewish um, apostle, the apostle Paul would certainly be tapping into this this rich vein of thinking and theology connected to the Old Testament concept of shalom. Shalom is the the word for peace in Hebrew. And it was part of the the ordinary greeting, shalom, shalom, that you would offer to a friend or to a neighbor. And and the word shalom um, went beyond just what we think of often as peace. Um, uh, We think of peace as kind of a cessation of hostility, or we might think of peace internally, like we talk about, you know, having peace of mind. But shalom included those ideas, certainly. Um, the cessation of hostility. Um, it included the idea of this inward or internal um, sense of quiet and calm. But it went beyond that to talk about the sense of God's blessing, a sense of God's heart, where there's harmony not just in your own heart and soul, but in your relationships, in your community, in your uh, home and household. Um, and it also uh, went to this idea of order, the ordering that is a God-given order, both in your own individual life, in your homes, and in the community. And it would even bleed into ideas of success and prosperity. And, and, and those, I think, ideas kind of peel off a little bit as we come to the New Testament. But as we come to the New Testament, you, you should hear this idea of harmony, order, peace, um, the, the freedom from hostility as all part of this peace uh, that the apostles describing. But the key thing as we come to the New Testament is that this is not merely the peace of God, but it's the peace of Christ. So now the apostle is taking this great Old Testament theme, and he is, he's looking at it specifically through a Christian lens. He's looking at it through the work of Christ, and he's saying that there's a, a very objective um, uh, aspect to this idea of peace. This is a peace that is achieved uh, in and only in and through Jesus. In Colossians chapter 1, he talks about uh, the work of Christ and how it produces peace. This is Colossians 1, verses 19 and 20. And there we read, For in him, that is in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. And here's the result. Making peace 
by the blood of the cross, making peace by the blood of his cross. So when the apostle's talking about this peace, now he's, he's talking about a, a concept that is only achieved in and through Jesus and can only be accessed by faith in Christ. There is an, an objective reality. The peace of Christ means the forgiveness of sins through the atoning death of Jesus. It means reconciliation with a holy God. And it is because of this peace that we are no longer enemies. We, we no longer have to fear the perfect justice of God striking out against us because we know our hearts to be unjust. Rather, this is a peace that means that we have been chosen, that we are beloved by God the Father. And again, this is a peace you know, we just need to emphasize this biblical New Testament idea of peace that Christ, this is the peace that Christ, um, that the, the prophets describe and the angels celebrate, you know, to the shepherds. The peace that Christ came to bring to the world is a peace that we can only have by faith in Jesus. And so let me just say the reverse. If you are not in Christ, you are going to look for this peace your whole life, and you won't find it. You know, it was interesting. I came across an interview with um, uh, quarterback Tom Brady. Uh, This was um, more than a decade ago after he had won his third Super Bowl uh, ring. I'm not sure, uh, is it five or six? Uh, It doesn't matter. But anyway, um, but this interview was uh, uh, done with 60 Minutes, and Steve Croft was the interviewer. I just found this so fascinating. So Croft, uh, the 60 uh, Minutes interviewer, says, this whole experience, this whole upward trajectory, what have you learned about yourself? What kind of an effect does all the success have on you? And as part of his answer, Brady replies, a lot of times I think I get very frustrated and introverted, and there's times where I'm not the person that I want to be. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it, this is what is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life, me. I think it's got to be more than this. I mean, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it. And what else is there for me? Croft uh, uh, asks, What's the answer? Brady, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. I mean, I think that's part of me trying to go out and experience other things. That's just so fast. I mean, here's a quarterback who looks like the all-American quarterback, who has won three Super Bowls, who is a multi-millionaire, you know, many times over, uh, who... If you look at his life, he has it all. And here he's saying is, I don't know what it is, but I'm missing something. I've been at the top of the mountain, and it's not what I expected to find. 
You hear him just describing, really honestly, this kind of sense of dissatisfaction. Now, I wonder if he went back and, you know, if he ever listened to this interview, he thought, oh, man, I can't believe I said that, you know, out loud in public. I'm not supposed to say that. But it's actually the truth. And what he's pointing out is the spiritual reality that you will not find your peace in the things of this world. It doesn't matter how much money you have what size of your house or where you're able to travel, you won't find your satisfaction in anything other than faith and a relationship with Jesus Christ. So the Apostle Paul goes on to tell us about this peace, that we have to let this peace rule in our hearts. The peace of Christ is rooted in his death, and it produces the experience of internal satisfaction, the sense that all is well. And what the apostle is telling us is that we have to allow the work of Christ, the, the meaning of the gospel of Christ, we need to allow these truths to sink deep within our, our minds and within our hearts. these truths cannot just remain on the surface like we check it off and and we just go through the motions. But we need to really um, spiritually and, and, and mentally just embrace the reality and truth of what Christ has accomplished and what Christ alone has accomplished. The apostle seems to indicate that it's possible not to allow this peace to rule, even if you're a believer. He's writing to the believers at Colossae. And apparently it's possible to be a Christian and to not allow this peace to really have its way within our lives. And of course, we know this to be true. We can, by our decisions or inaction, block the peace of Christ from manifesting in our hearts, and then it, ma- it fails to manifest in our fellowship as a body of Christ. Well, how do we allow this peace to really go deep? How do we allow it to begin to have its way within us? Well, let me just suggest two principles. Both of these are from Isaiah. Verses Isaiah 26, verse 3 and 4. You keep him, okay, you, God, keep him in perfect peace. Well, that's what we're interested in, right? Peace, healthy, mature, peace, perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you. Why? Why is this mind stayed on God? What's the key here? Because he trusts in you. There it is. Because he trusts. It's not, it goes beyond just this kind of simple belief. Yeah, I, I believe it. I believed it when I was in high school, and I kind of checked that box off in my life. No, the trust is this kind of embrace. It's a, a kind of a, a spiritual grasp of what Christ, who Christ is, and what he's accomplished for us. Trust in the Lord forever. Isaiah writes, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. And the second great theme is that this trust needs to be connected to obedience. Isaiah 32, verse 17, and the effect of righteousness, the prophet writes, 
will be peace. And the result of righteousness, quietness, and trust forever. So what is he saying? It should be kind of obvious. But sin, our selfish hearts, our narcissism, our, you know, our, our wanting to go our own way, our, our unwillingness to listen to the Lord. Um, well, what is this? What results from our, our sin? Well, it creates this barrier you know, between you and, and God. That's what sin does. It blocks that relationship that, that we ought to have. We're still sons and daughters, even if we sin in Christ. But what happens is, is that sin creates a barrier to our fellowship. We're still in relationship, but the fellowship is broken. And so this is where we need to learn to trust and obey, like the old hymn, for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to what? Trust and obey. Now, the unfortunate news is this. There's only one person who was able to maintain this perfect peace, because there's only one person who was able to perfectly obey, (laughs) and that was Jesus. There is an already and not yet quality we have to say about this peace, The already is that Christ has died, that Christ has established us in a relationship with the Lord. And the already is as we grow in learning to trust and obey and allow God's word to be at work. And as we we latch on to his promises and onto the person of Jesus, that we experience this real and deep peace, even in times and moments of adversity. But the reality is also true. In a fallen world, that peace won't be perfect. (laughs) That peace will not be unbroken. And that's why we have to keep allowing our sins to bring us back to our knees to confess and to repent so that we would again trust and obey. And this dovetails with the additional admonition to let God's word dwell in us richly. This is verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. This is another beautiful passage, and it relates very closely with the peace that the apostle says we need to have rule in our hearts because part of allowing ourselves to trust in the Lord is that we are allowing his word to fill us that we are growing in our knowledge of Scripture and in our wisdom, and it shouldn't be missed that this is an exhortation to all of God's people. This, this isn't just for those who have been to seminary or, or, you know, who have been highly educated. This is for all of God's people to allow that Word of God to begin to uh, abide, to have a, a home where it's free to roam uh, within, um, within us. This is not, again, just a, you know, knowing the basics of the word. This is to, allow, to, know, to have a lavish understanding of the word. Now, one principle I, I want to highlight um, at, this, at this point is, it's this principle, and I think it's, it's directly connected to our peace. 
okay? And it's this principle that was highlighted in a book called Spiritual Depression, Its Causes and Cures uh, by the 19th century preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones. In his book, he talks about how we spend far too much time allowing ourself to talk versus talking to ourself. Now, what he means by that is um, we very much um, uh, allow the feelings, the emotions, that, that, or, or just the thoughts that are at the very top of our, of our minds to have their ways with us. You know, whether it's, you know, we have fears or, or worry or, or concern about the uncertainties of the future, or um, maybe there's some resentment, and, and we feel that, and what happens is we just allow ourselves to go there. We allow ourselves to think about what it is that's just generating those fears and concerns and, and uh, resentments. And this is what he writes. He says, uh, this is the very essence of wisdom in this matter. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Do you see the distinction he's making? He's saying, we listen to ourselves, ourself just screams, you know, to, to, to talk about the, its hurts and wounds and fears. And he says, what we have to do as noble creatures made in the image of God is we have to learn to, in a sense, preach to ourselves. And so he continues with these, I think, important words. The main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. You must say to your soul, why art thou cast down? What business have you to be disquieted? You must turn on yourself, abrade yourself, condemn yourself, exhort yourself, and say to yourself, hope thou in God, instead of muttering in this depressed, unhappy way. And then you must go on to remind yourself of God, who God is and what God, and what God is and, and what God has done and what God has pledged himself to do. Then having done that, end on this great note, defy yourself and defy other people and defy the devil and the whole world and say with this man, I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance, who is also the health of my countenance and my God. This is just this great principle of being your own preacher, of learning to preach to your own heart. You feel those emotions. You feel those fears starting to well up. Preach to yourself, reminding yourselves of the great truths of, this, of the word. And that's why we have to allow the word to dwell within us richly so that we can be good preachers to our hearts so that we can be confident of the truths with which we are speaking to ourselves. The greater our confidence, the more effective our preaching. And by the way, it won't be just preaching to yourself, but it'll also be, in some cases, preaching to others. And the apostle goes on just to talk about the encouragement, one of the the great ways that we can admonish and teach one another is by gathering together, whether it be in corporate worship or in small groups, and singing the great psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. 
Singing as part of worship is not just, you know, like a, a, an afterthought. It's, it's not just something we do because it's enjoyable. We do it because it's at the heart of communicating and celebrating and proclaiming to one another the truths and the magnificent promises that we have in Christ, the hope that is sure and certain, not, you know, a, a wishy, uncertain hope that, you know, maybe 2021 will be a better year. And almost as an afterthought, Paul reminds his readers twice, once at the end of verse 15 and again at the end of verse 16, and be thankful. You know, this may be a little of the chicken and the egg when it comes to the peace of Christ, which comes first. Is it that peace that generates harmony and order in your life that leads to thanksgiving? Or is it your thanksgiving that begins to help produce peace? Why? Because what thanksgiving is doing is it's putting your eyes on what God is doing. It's putting your eyes on that God is with you, that God is good, that he loves you, that he has a hope and a future for you. And as, we're, as we learn to cultivate thankfulness, it does produce peace. So it's kind of the chicken and the egg, which comes first. Well, I think it's kind of the circular uh, effect. The more you're thankful, the more you'll enjoy and manifest the peace of Christ. And the more you manifest the peace of Christ, the more it leads into thankfulness. But of course, all of this, you know, so what part are we active and intentional? You know, it's hard to quantify all of this, of course, but we do have an active role in this. Over and over again, Paul says, be thankful, rejoice, rejoice in the Lord again, always. And again, I say, rejoice. And it's probably not by accident that we see the admonition to be thankful in a place like Philippians 4, 6. Uh, where we just learn um, that in times of acute anxiety, that we are to offer up prayers that also include thanksgiving. If you've not memorized this passage today, (laughs) go home and memorize this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. There it is. Let your requests be known to God. And that peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul's admonition is simple. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts this Christmas. Would you bow your heads with me? O Lord, enable us to cherish your word in humble and believing hearts, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures may have hope. Sanctify us through the truth. Your word is truth. May your peace rule in our hearts. May your word dwell in us richly, and may all that we do be with a view toward the glory of your great and holy name. Amen.